Welcome to Three Point Landing, where we talk about movies, games, and TV. This week, we are going to be talking about something that's near and dear to our hearts. Basically, it's our superhero update. We'll be talking about how Marvel movies used to be out every two, three months um, to the point that it never looked like it was going to end. But apparently, COVID has um, changed those plans. And uh, we'll be going a little bit into... Um, somebody from an entirely different era of superhero movies who just passed away. We'll be talking about the filmography of Joel Schumacher and looking back at Batman and Robin on whether or not it should be as despised as it is. But before we get ahead of ourselves, I am Misha and I'm joined, of course, by my co-host, Matthew. Yes, because we have to say our names like Pokemon every single time. How you doing, man? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Uh, do, do you remember a, what the outside world looks like? As uh, it's been a while. Actually, I would. Uh, you might be surprised to know that I did encounter the outside world today. What? You never go out, uh, even when it wasn't the pandemic. You never go out. <laughs> I went out to get some medicine. Okay, I needed to get some Neozip. I needed to get some some Advil, uh, some nasal spray. You know, keep that medicine cabinet stocked and. Uh, Oh yeah, and withdraw withdraw money that you use to pay for services for delivery services. <laughs> you still use physical money? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an advanced. I'm not. A, I, I don't live in the advanced society you live in. Hello. <laughs> I don't think any of us live in an advanced society. I think an advanced yeah. society would have figured out this whole pandemic yeah. thing by now. That's the joke. <laughs> uh, it's not funny if you have to explain <laughs> it. <laughs> or wait, did you let me do the explaining? Oh, yes, man. I did. I tricked you. I tricked you. <laughs> I hate you so much. I hope you know this. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, today we got to talk about... Right, right. Um, yeah, we got to talk that, about some stuff. <laughs> something that I kind of miss. I mean, we've talked about this before. I miss going to the cinema. I miss the whole theater, movie, watching experience. Uh, that's something I miss a lot. Something we won't be seeing anytime soon, but... When we were going to the cinema on a fairly regular basis, something you could always be sure of over the last, I don't know what, five, ten years, is that every two, three months, there's going to be another Marvel movie. And that's something that got stopped uh, when, when COVID reared its head. The Lord, the Lord take, the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. I say, you know, like, uh, did you just call Stanley the Lord or Walt Disney Studios? Uh, Maybe, maybe both. Maybe both. Maybe we have two lords. (laughs) Two lords. So anyway, back in the day in two thousand, you know, before before two thousand eight or two thousand seven, I have no idea. You know, you can you can you can correct me in the comments. Um, we used to have like we used to have no Marvel Cinematic Universe, and when that movie dropped in Iron Man and laid a foundation for what was an exciting new cinematic universe, just like just unthinkable idea of movies about different superior characters connected to each other. Suddenly, like things were just so amazing. And I think we took it for granted after a while. Like, oh, you know, for 10 years, like clockwork, like you said, there would always be one or two or three Marvel movies a year. Right. And it's just so it's just so weird that, you know, we're now living in a time where the Marvel, the Marvel plan is kind of like up in the air. Uh, Part of it is deliberate. Um, Mm -hmm. Kevin Feige and his friends at at the House of Mouse said that the Marvel Universe would be taking a year, a break for a full calendar year, 
starting with Spider-Man Colin Far From Home and all the way to the projected release of Black Widow in uh I think that was May supposed to be April. April or May. Yeah, May or April 2020. But because of COVID, that movie has been postponed. Meanwhile, we can expect that COVID will also postpone all the other movies that we have barely heard anything about. And that's the thing that makes it all weird on so many levels. I, you know, yeah, um, absolutely. A, a, period, a period of few movies, um, movies that were supposed to come out being delayed and movies that we expected news about just being virtually non-existent. Okay, uh, before we get ahead of ourselves, I need to ask you, do you remember, do you remember what it felt like when you saw Endgame? Avengers Endgame, the the film that effectively ended the, the the first era of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because for me, coming out of that cinema, I honestly felt that I did not need to see another one. After that, mm. I, I felt entirely satisfied. Mm. It's strange. My brain wasn't conditioned to think that way. And I think I think part of that was like I get the satisfaction and pleasure of seeing a complete story or a complete saga close off. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but so much of the Marvel story is wrapped up in marketing narratives. And so yeah. even before Endgame came out, they were already talking about the future. You couldn't you couldn't oh, yeah. go on the for internet. Sure, yeah, sure. you couldn't go on the internet without them telling you like what the next plan was. So when Endgame finished, my brain couldn't tell my couldn't tell me, oh, I hope this is the end of it. Because not just because of the awareness of the Marvel machine, but also because it's like Oh, hey guys! Here's this new character, Captain Marvel. You right. Know, uh, which is her movie is relatively successful, and she's a part of this movie. No way in hell, relatively successful. We're talking financials, okay? As long as it's not like you know a torpedo dive. <laughs> no, I, I, um, I mean I, I agree with you. I mean, like yeah. that's what kind of killed some of the suspense after Infinity War. You knew that yeah. Spider-Man wasn't going to stay dead because his sequel was already shooting at. The yeah, time. yeah. But. Um, a lot and all the, of that, and all the- I, I think a lot of the success of the first iteration of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I mean, fine, I'm going to include it up to and including Endgame. A lot of the success came from the fact that, by and large, to a mainstream movie-going audience, all of this stuff was new. It wasn't new to you if you were reading comic books for the past 10, 20 years, but... If you were seeing this stuff on the screen for the first time, you really didn't know if these heroes were going to stay dead. You didn't know if Thanos was going to win. You didn't know if Captain America would make it out of 1940, 41 or 42 or whatever it was. And Mm-mm. part of the fun for us, the longtime fans, was being there with everybody else, learning to appreciate and love these characters as much as we did. So by yeah. the time we got to Endgame... I was entirely satisfied and I was happy for it. And I honestly thought I didn't need to see another Marvel movie until, I mean, I knew there was stuff coming up. Conceptually, I knew that there was stuff. I already seen the schedule. I was aware of it. But narratively, thematically, I was happy to let it go. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess maybe part of like growing up with, uh, with, with comics also like sort of trains you to the idea of the perpetual narrative <laughs> and true. also the cap. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, I don't want to, I really, I, okay, uh, sort of a side rant here. I really don't like going on the internet and talking to people about movies and pop culture and they're all like, you know, oh, this could never happen because Marvel or or Disney or EA, you know, it's all about the money and keeping the cash cow going. Like, they can't participate in good faith discussions about story and creative ideas because they're so hung up on trying to sound cleverer than they are because they read Wall Street, because they think that 
they are just as educated by reading Wall Street Journal and The Hollywood Reporter. You know what I mean? Like, I, I get that. I, I, I don't want to come off as that. But I do feel like I'm desensitized by the idea that um, these big corp- these big IP-owning corporations will never let a good idea go to rest for as long as it can keep generating profit. That is and true. Comic comic books sort of like, you know, innovated that. And, you know, the moment the Hollywood machine said, hey, we're going to pick up these comics and make them into a, into a franchise. What? They have perpetual built, they have built in perpetual infinite narratives too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly what we were looking for. <laughs> hey, absolutely right. These things were designed to, well, they're maybe not initially, but the movies for sure were designed to keep on going. Mm. That's why Captain America's shield gets passed down. Um, that's why it's uh, the roster of Avengers is ever evolving. You know, these things were designed to keep going, even if you lose one or two stars. And Mm-mm. so you're right. I mean, I knew that it was going to move forward, um, I, but I was okay with it. And then I saw Spider-Man Far From Home and all of a sudden I was excited again by the possibilities. I know, right? <laughs> I, I, I still I still believe that they're going to have to up their game a considerable amount because you can't yeah. surprise people anymore with yeah. the same things that worked for the first 10 years. Like do, you look at Avengers Endgame and then you look at the first Avengers in 2012, six superheroes standing together just looks quaint now. But back then, it blew our minds. Uh, so, yeah, and, you know, and, and superhero infused me- superhero infused media is not in the same landscape that it was ten years ago. I absolutely. Mean, now um, Marvel has to contend with the fact that if these when DC gets around to getting all of their shit together, you know, they may have narratives or characters that could seriously change, you know, what people expect from from from, from these kinds of things. <laughs> Never mind like other things like like the DC universe on the CW television network right. or. Um, things from you know things from all these other uh, original non Marvel non DC superhero stuff like The Boys, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, there's a uh, lot of there's a- yeah, absolutely. Uh, superhero awareness, superhero culture. I think we discussed this in our in our pilot episode, in the Joker episode. That's that right. Awareness of comic book heroes and comic book properties, whether they're Marvel, DC, Image, Dark Horse, whatever, from the Avengers to the Walking Dead to the Boys or even something as esoteric as iZombie, you know, people are aware of these characters now. It's no longer limited to the ones who go into your neighborhood comic book store. Um, yeah. And I think, I think, so I think there, the position and, and that... That awareness brings with it some kind of expectation now that everyone mm. is on the same page, um, for the most part, with regards to page. these characters, <laughs> if that makes sense. No, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think the position that Marvel finds itself in is in the same position that Netflix is in, uh, is in right now. Remember how Netflix sort of like de facto cornered the market on the idea of uh, streaming, you know, internet streaming, uh, video services, and not just that, they sort of like, they, they cornered the market so hard that they tried to attack all the niches, which means they wanted to have all the the famous content from the biggest companies and they wanted to have prestige dramas that are that sort of like come up to the you know sort of compete directly with the likes of hbo i think we covered um, that like in our second or third episode where we talked about the streaming wars well i'm just gonna plug every episode now i'm gonna plug all the past episodes in this one (laughs) but um 
Wow. We should, you know, one of these days we should do a we should do a clip episode. You know, like you know, like if you ever watch a lot of anime <laughs> we'll or a lot show. of uh, like you do a they clip have a, show? Cl- a clip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That'd be hilarious. That, that sounds like a bigger headache for engineer and than we'll us, fr- really. We'll frame we'll frame our we'll frame our episode around you and me telling each other stories, and then we'll cut back. <laughs> or or. Somebody, one of us gets injured, and the other one recites their famous, their their favorite memories. <laughs> oh, that's right, that's right. All right, our producer PV just is his cue to step in and say, "Gagukayo, stop it." <laughs> but um, <laughs> and then after I, that, we're gonna want to ha- try a bottle episode. Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, let's do a bottle episode. We'll be trapped together in COVID misery. <laughs> <laughs> they won't be the quarantine no, but- sessions anymore. They'll just be the full blown pandemic show. <laughs> Three point landing. Going back to the topic, um, what of the upcoming slate of Marvel productions are you looking forward to? I mean, honestly speaking, just in case everybody out there, uh, for anyone who doesn't know. The lineup for the next year, two years, has already been announced. So we're going to go through some of those. Uh, but uh, Matthew, what are you looking forward to in particular? Uh, I'm looking. Uh, let, let's let's do a three. Let's do a three for three. I'll take three, and you take three. I would like to say I'm excited for Thor: Love and Thunder. Oh yeah, Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange, and the Multiverse of Madness, and WandaVision. Those are the three I'm most excited for. You know what? I'm right there with you. I, you're excited for those? Okay, let's go. You want to go into those now or I'll name my three? Name your three. Name your three. I'm excited for um, Falcon and Winter Soldier TV show. I'm excited for the Loki TV show. And I am also uh-huh. excited for, um, I want to say Shang-Chi, um, the master of Kung Fu or the... or. Um, What's that? What's the one with that they just hired Andrew Jolie for? The Eternals. Thank you. I was gonna say Inhumans, but then I remember that I actually spent money to see the premiere of the Inhumans in IMAX, and I wanted to kill myself. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so incredibly right, let's talk, bad. Let's, let's talk about this in chronological order. Uh, let me let me be our guy for the moment. Now, I honestly Black don't Widow know. What, oh wait, can I throw in Black Widow? I'm gonna choose four things. I want Black Widow too. Well, uh, we're we're gonna get we're gonna get the Black Widow uh, prequel movie or whatever you, whatever it is. We're gonna get it in November, and at, right after that, right after that is when we're going to be getting. Well, not right after. We're going to get the Eternals on February twenty twenty one, directed by Chloe Zhao and starring an ensemble cast. Go! Why are you excited about this movie? I want to see Black Widow <laughs> because, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> that movie is like at least five years too late. To be perfect, I mean, for heaven's <laughs> sake, the reason it has to be a prequel is because she's dead already. They had to wait for her to die to give her her own movie. I mean, seriously. And I don't <laughs> oh, even the think they were going to do that, that if Wonder Woman didn't make money for the other guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, think, I think part of it also is that they might be they might have plans for making Black Widow be their other female franchise, but they don't have a script yet, or they don't they haven't nailed where they want the project to be at. So that's why Black Widow is sort of like taking its spot, I guess. I I, I kind of think that part of it yeah. is they're trying to wait and see how this one does first. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. But why are you th- excited about Eternals? Because I don't know a lot about the property except that it's cosmic. And maybe once in a while, they appear in a Fantastic Four comic. And that's when they become relevant to me. <laughs> I, I'm, 
I'm excited for the Eternals because if I'm not mistaken, Jack Kirby created them years ago. Um, but I I actually read them when Neil Gaiman took his crack at reinventing them for the 20, 20th century. And I always mm. liked the idea. I mean, I always enjoyed it when Jack Kirby would play with the idea of ancient gods or ancient mm. aliens, or ancient creatures who were advanced enough to be perceived as gods. You, you, and, come on, you wanted to say it. You wanted to say it. You wanted to, you wanted to Giorgio this and go, No, I'm not going to do No, I'm not going to <laughs> I interviewed that guy, by the way. He did the whole aliens thing I know with, you, with the hair. I know you, you did. post that picture on the page. I, I know you did. That's why I was making a reference, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but I always liked well, that. And I'm looking forward to see, because I love a good Jack Kirby head trip. And you can uh, see a lot of a lot of his more way out ideas. He would put them. I mean, as amazing as the stuff as he did, as amazing as the stuff that he did for say, fan, say Fantastic Four and, and 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 his other creations were. In this case, we haven't actually seen any film that goes full Jack Kirby. And I think this this could be this could be a good outlet for it. I want to see. I was very impressed with how they depicted the worlds of Doctor Strange in his first movie appearance. So I look forward to seeing how they visualize or how they execute the visuals with with the the Eternals. And um, and seeing as they got that Indian dude from Silicon Valley to do sit-ups and stuff, if they can he's make Pakist- that, if he's they can Pakistani, make- he's Pakistani. He's Pakistani. Oh right, yeah. that was like that was on the show, right? I'm sorry. Yes, he's Pakistani. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still mad at him for the first episode of that rebooted Twilight Zone. That that was terrible. But um, <laughs> not his fault. <laughs> yeah, I know the episode was 30 minutes too long. But I figure if you can whip that dude into shape, then there we are in for some amazing stuff. I think Angelina Jolie is in this movie, and um, I can't remember who else. But Salma Hayek. Salma Hayek. See, for that reason alone, I mean, I would sign up for this movie. Yeah, I'm very excited for Camille to be in this movie. I'm a big fan of his. Uh, I've, I've, I I I first discovered him through podcasting. Would you believe? So what does he that, podcast that's, about? Yeah. Uh, he had a podcast with his wife, Emily V. Gordon. Uh, it was called The Indoor Kids. It was primarily about video games, but they would also talk about other stuff. And, you know, this is back in 2011. He was still like, you know, in the stand up, you know, circuit with some acting. He hadn't hit big yet, but, you know, it's a really, it was a really, really good podcast. Uh, right. Yeah. So, but anyway, and I've been following him ever since. Like, if, if Camille shows up, and something, you know, I'm there to watch because I think he's fucking hilarious and he's only getting better every year. He was one of the janitors on Community, wasn't he? I I don't watch Community. You know this already. <laughs> uh, it's on Netflix. You don't have <laughs> any more excuses. Why would I be? Well, I'm busy watching Borgen. Hello. <laughs> I, I'm just going to judge you from here. I am judging uh, you from uh, right now. That's what I'm doing. Anyway, anyway, we've only uh, got we've only got a little bit more time. So let's let's wait, let's, let's uh, keep going. The cool. OK, last thing. <laughs> the cool thing about the Eternals is they were like master um, geneticists. They like uh, meddling around and creating powers in in lesser beings. So I, they've got a lot of stuff to do with the existing alien races that were already introduced in the MCU, the Kree and the Skrulls, and even something to do with some of the superpowered adventurers on Earth. So this could be a really, really big a start of something big and epic and cosmic, and I'm all for it. They might reintroduce the human in, in humans. 
Probably not, but let's 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 put a dark horse bet there. They might reintroduce the Inhumans because uh, Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel, is an Inhuman, and she's on the cards. But for, to uh, be fair, Marvel, the, the Marvel the Universe and then Agents of Shield handle the Inhumans way better than the Inhumans. Yeah, can. we never know. They might change their mind or not. I'm not saying this is a a, a decision I support. Yeah, I'm just yeah. merely putting all the like the possibilities out there. But it's more likely that these characters might paved the way for what the mutants will, might end up being. Oh man, I cannot wait for the X-Men to be in the MCU. It's just too bad they'll never yeah, team so, up with Chris Evans. Yeah. Or will they? Uh, the next movie I want to talk about is uh, Thor Love and Thunder, <laughs> which is going to be the fourth It'll be the it'll be the first in this in the in the Marvel in the Marvel uh, cinematic universe to be a fourth entry, am I not mistaken? No, I think Endgame counts as the fourth entry of the Avengers. That's a team. That's a team movie. That's different. No, you and just also said movie. One story. You didn't say solo movie. Fine, 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 fine. And as anyway. big as the as big uh, as the casts are, not are any of them solo movies anymore. I mean, Captain America three was Civil is, War. That was like you know another Avengers flick. Yeah, I know that was Avengers three. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Avengers two anyway, and a half. <laughs> anyway, Avengers two point five. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, Thor: Love and Thunder. Now, this is interesting because. Uh, it's reported that the movie will be the swan song for Chris Hemsworth as the really? titular god of thunder. Really? He said yeah, that in the last? Uh, here's the thing. Okay, but let me let me complete this whole round so we can get to where we're going, which is that Natalie Portman will be returning for Thor for for Thor 4, Love and Thunder, even though she didn't play the character the character of Jane Foster in Thor Ragnarok. Right. <clears throat> now and all um, of just, her role the, the, in Endgame was just outtakes. Yeah, just outtake, just outtakes are like recontextualized. And um, the suspicion or the theory right now is that she will be playing Jane Foster Thor. As no, they, they Thor, announced it. Thor. They they announced it at San yeah. Diego last year. That's they not gave, a theory. She oh, held yeah, up right, the hammer right, and right. everything. Yeah, she, she she held up the fucking hammer. So here's the thing: the reason why I call it the swan song for Chris Hemsworth as Thor is that, well, the moment she takes on that mantle, she's Thor, right? But it's very possible that Chris Hemsworth will remain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to portray Odin's son, which is basically when Thor is not Thor. Ooh. Is that when he only has like one arm and it's made of gold? I'm not sure. You'll have to ask my wife about that. She's the, she's the one who, <laughs> the, she, my wife, uh, they're, they're the one who read all the Thor comics that Jason Aaron wrote. Yeah, there was a time we had to chop his arm off and then... Yeah, and his replacement arm was gone, Mm-mm. basically. Mm-mm. But yeah, I, c- I could see that. I think that would be good for Chris Hemsworth so he doesn't have to, like, you know, do CrossFit eight months a year <laughs> and yeah, sub- it, it, subsist it on boiled like, chicken. Yeah, it feels like the, the movie is kind of being massaged to sort of like develop futures and relationships with right. some of the more popular actor actors inside the Marvel Cinematic Universe who do not have long-term contracts. So like, you know, Captain America, Iron Man, they're all done with, but now Tessa Thompson, Jane Foster, you know, Chris Hemsworth, they're all like having, yeah, it's their time to shine in terms of paving a narrative future for them. And what's also interesting to me about that movie is that uh, they confirmed that the Guardians of the Galaxy will be incorporated somewhat, somewhat in the film. Sweet. So this might be like sort of like, a cameo for the, uh, a guest appearance for them. And it's funny because there was a rumor uh, after Endgame came out that Thor would be joining them and they would become the ass guardians of the galaxy or something. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's actually a Marvel title at this point. But 
I think I think so. But anyway, lots of things are going to are happening right, right. or could happen in Thor: Love and Thunder, and that's why I'm so excited about it because even if I don't know everything, it's just like it just feels ripe with potential. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, moving just, on. Uh, I wait. Just one last thing about that one. I am excited for Love and Thunder also because it has the director of Thor: Ragnarok. Which um, oh, I, yeah. <laughs> I admit, on first viewing, I wasn't entirely a fan of Ragnarok because I wanted to see Viking Armageddon. I really wanted to see that. Mm, I did not expect yeah. to be assaulted with a laugh-a-minute buddy picture. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, it's one of those movies that I'm sure for some people, <laughs> it was difficult to appreciate the first time around. But when I saw it the second but time… But once you get on board… Yeah. yeah but, once you get on board with it, you're, you're on board. Yeah. When I appreciate it for what it was and not for what it wasn't, I, w- I, I was laughing along with everybody else. And I, I, I greatly you enjoyed that. Uh, I, love, I, I love the… Uh, not what you want what, what's his name? The director's name? Taika Waititi. Right. I love that guy's output. What we do in the shadows and, you know, and Thor Ragnarok was fun. So I hope, I, I, I want to see what he does with this one. And the final movie that we have confirmed, I, I believe, is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. I have to admit, I don't know a lot about this movie, which is weird for me to get excited about okay, it. I- but it does feature, it's going to feature uh, Wanda, it's going to feature Scarlet Witch in the mm-hmm, movie. Mm-hmm. And the reports are that it's going to tie in with the WandaVision television series as well as with Loki. So Multiverse of Madness is sort of supposed to functionally reconcile or wrestle with all of the, you know, space-time stuff that is the space-time fallout that resulted because of Avengers Endgame. Ah, uh, well, uh, I'm excited for it because of the director they announced. Yeah? Who's the director now? No, is seriously? it still Scott Derrickson? It's still... No, no, it's not. It's Sam freaking Raimi. Oh, really? That was confirmed? Yeah. I, I heard the rumor, but I didn't know it was... Co- Wait, oh, is, isn't it confirmed? It says here, uh, Raimi confirmed his involvement in April 2020. Yeah! You are right. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited because Sam Raimi, as um, some of you might know, was the director of the Evil Dead trilogy. Um, he produced uh, and directed the Spider, the first Spider-Man trilogy, which I love two-thirds of. So Sam Raimi is one of my <laughs> favorite directors in terms of tone, um, style and also sense of humor. So he's the perfect guy to take us on a Doctor Strange horror mind trip. Well, Dark Man up here. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, love Dark Man. <laughs> I also love Dark Man. Liam Neeson, back when nobody knew who he was. Yeah. <laughs> Dark Man was cool. And- but the thing about Sam Raimi is he has a very clear affection for the Marvel comics of the 60s and 70s. That's why he couldn't quite get on board for the Ven- Venom. Get on. No, he couldn't get on board for the Venom train, Spider-Man Three. He was forced into doing it, and it shows in that movie. He had no affection for that character whatsoever. But Doctor Strange yeah. is a classic character through and through, so he should be able to do good with this one, I think. And he's pretty. I think he's way overdue for a major studio film. The last one I can remember was uh, uh, Drag Me to Hell, which I love. Uh, yeah, and, and, I, and also uh, Oz the Great and Wonderful. But I think I, I, I don't want to remember Oz, Oz the Great uh, and Powerful. That movie was crap. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think what's interesting about it is that he directed uh, Spider Man and he directed, he's going to direct Doctor Strange. Yes. And those are both two characters co created by Stan Lee and Steve, Steve Ditko. Ditko. I love Ditko. Now that guy was off. Yeah, he's, 
Yeah, genuinely one of my favorite sort of favorite artists. Yeah, and I think the last uh, three things we got to talk about are the television series, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, WandaVision, and Loki. Loki. Yeah, these are supposed to premiere on Disney Plus, so we have no idea when we're going to see these shows in our neck of the woods. Mm-mm. But um, I think Mm-mm. what's cool about them is that they're not going to be like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that plays it coy about whether or not it's part of the MCU. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But the 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 WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier and the Loki TV shows are firmly set in the MCU because they got the same actors playing them in the movies to play them on the shows. And apparently events in the shows will influence what happens in future movies. Yeah, a lot of, a lot has happened in television over the past 10 years since the Marvel Cinematic Universe debuted, which is that um, television as a storytelling platform has become even more elevated than it was during the era of golden age peak TV. And so it's become more like, uh, not fashionable, but become more like palatable for a big movie star to come down to the land of TV land and direct maybe, uh, and direct and appear in maybe five, six, maybe 10 episodes of a, of a, of a short you know, a short mini season that tells a complete story. And that's what's happening with these, right. uh, with these television shows. And I think, um, I believe we, the Falcon in the Winter. Sorry. I, I think we mentioned sorry, before go, go. when we were talking about Watchmen or Star Trek Picard or something where the shorter seasons help movie stars sign on for these things. So it leaves them free yeah, for the because, rest of the year to do other projects. You don't have to commit exactly, like 10 exactly. months of the year to one show anymore. Yeah. I think the most that we know about is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier in which they've not shown us a teaser, but they've told us about, which is that we'll see Baron's, we'll see Helmut Zemo emerge. Um, we'll see. I, I just hope he puts on the mask this time. He was so underwhelming. I know, in, right? That Civil War. I bet that. Come on, he's going to put on the mask at the end of the mo- uh, end of the series. It, just, just for a shout out at the very least. I mean, they his- got they got Melvin they got Melvin Potter to wear the Gladiator outfit and Daredevil for crying out. <laughs> right they did they did but I, I what was his name what was his name the guy the guy who played baron zemo who played zemo in the movie D- daniel Bruhl. right uh i can't imagine him in a purple gimp mask with a fur collar but okay weirder things have happened mm. i know well we we couldn't imagine this entire universe 10 years ago so there you go fair point um, fair point wanda <laughs> wanda vision is going to be very interesting because it's going to pick up directly from the fallout of Wanda losing her one true love vision to the events of Endgame. Spoilers if you haven't seen Endgame. Uh, And um, how she's dealing with that emotionally and psychologically and how that has an impact on her powers. I think he died in Infinity War. Yeah, and we've seen a we've seen a Super Bowl teaser. You're right. We've seen a Super Bowl teaser that shows some quick images, and basically they we've we've been presented with Wanda fighting herself in very in, in multiple strange realities, yeah, including a uh, 1950s black and white sitcom. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's going to be like a, a wild, trippy show at the very least. That's going to be playing with, yeah. you know, formats and worlds. She also and Loki ha- is the one that we know. To, sorry, no, I was going to say that there's also like uh, one one version where Wanda is wearing like her 60s, 70s classic comic book outfit, but it looks like it's done more as a Halloween costume, joke, Easter egg kind of thing that's than right. anything else. Um, That's right, with the the pointy red stuff. I think that um, WandaVision is going to be taking a lot from the Tom King run of the Vision comics, but I I, I don't go Uh, beyond that. 
Um, that's the one where he's living a happy, quiet life in suburbia with his android family. And that was all kinds of that's messed right. up. Um, I don't know how if this movie's going <clears> to <throat> pick up on that, but I mean, it would be fun if it did. Mm-hmm. And the last one that we're going to be talking about is Loki. Uh, Loki is the uh, TV series that we know the least about. All we know is that after the events of Endgame, he, there is a Loki, not the same Loki that we know from, <laughs> right. from another reality, who is, who is traveling through time and space after absconding with the Tesseract. one of the powers. The, was it? The, the Tesseract. Tesseract. Yeah, with yeah. the Tesseract. Um, which is the Space Stone. Is that right? I'm, I'm probably remembering it wrong, oh, yeah, but true. you know, well, I'll let our fans crucify me in, in the comments. <laughs> Do we have fans? Wait. <laughs> yeah. Um, so why are you why are you excited about the Loki? I'm the Loki excited show, for the Loki, Loki because I feel that the movies never let him go full. They never let him break bad all the way as far as they could have. Because I after see. the first Thor movie, when they realized that audiences love this guy, they could not make him a full on villain anymore after that. They would hint at it, but yeah. then he'd have a heart of gold later on. Sure, he tried to kill Odin yeah, like, at the uh, end of Thor 2, but, you know, in the third one, he felt really bad about it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, don't get me wrong, I do not regret or do not, uh, like, I cherish every moment of fun and hilarity and coolness that Loki had that we got. But at the same time, it is it all happened at the expense of what kind of villainous trajectory they probably had in mind for him at the beginning. Because, you know, you know Hiddleston yeah. is so charming. Hiddleston is so likable. Like what you said, all of that stuff. And it, and I think that kind of defanged the character a little bit. It, it took away some of his, his teeth. And, he was impossible you know, to became hate. A little bit. He was impossible to hate. And nobody wanted to pull the trigger mm. on making him hateable again. Yeah, and then they would just use the excuse of like, oh, he's my brother. That's why I can't, you know, commit to anything mm-hmm. like any real disciplinary action against him. <laughs> or he's a bad guy, but he's misunderstood. He's not evil. Or he's evil, but Mm-mm. not really. I mean, guys, come yeah. on. He's literally the god of lies and mischief. Nothing that comes <laughs> out of his mouth should be trusted. <laughs> but yeah, yeah um, this is what we're looking forward to in the six, eight, ten months ahead. I don't know if how many of these are going to even come out in any recognizable form or platform because like Black Widow has been pushed back continuously since April or May. Now they're saying it's going to well, come out in November, right now, but I think that's optimistic. Well, right now the calendar that we've talked about, everything that we talked about, Misha, everything actually ends up till the year 2022. Oh, no <laughs> kidding. So we are, we are looking, we are looking at a long tail of movies you know, it's the, the stuff that we don't know about, like, takes place after that. Oh, wait, last one. Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. I'm looking forward to that because if there's something that the MCU has proven incredibly suited for is presenting heroes of different genres or even presenting the same hero in different genres. Like, you know, the first Thor was yes. a sword and sandals epic, fish out of water comedy. The second one was forgettable the third one was a full-on buddy road trip comedy Forget- <clears throat> so i, I hey, hey don't underrate see- don't underrate it forgettable is a genre <laughs> uh, the only good thing about the second thor movie and we have discussed this is that it gives emotional resonance to thor's arc in endgame endgame justified the existence yeah. of thor 2 because on its own thor 2 is garbage Mm-mm. but um um what was i saying sorry 
Um, Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu, um, not a title that I've personally invested in or read a lot of, but I like the idea of a full-on martial arts epic in the Marvel Universe. And they got, the to play the lead, they got the, the what's his name, the brother from, from Kim's Convenience. Um, the tall one, I forgot. Ah, Simu, yeah, Simu Liu. What was it? His name is Simu Liu. Ah, okay, cool. That's his name. I will take your word for that. <laughs> I believe you. And, and also, it's the movie's the movie's new the movie's current title is actually Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Oh right, because they're gonna, they're gonna bring the Mandarin into this in a non-racist and way. Tony Lung. And Did, Tony Lung is gonna play him because Tony Lung is the best freaking way to do it. If you're gonna bring on a full-on racist caricature to life and update it for the 21st century, you get one of the best living Chinese actors. Okay, I can dig it. Yeah. Tony Lung is awesome. I imagine what they're gonna do. What they're gonna do with the Mandarin is they're just gonna they're just gonna fucking Ken Watanabe it, which it means that you know. But yes, they, it's they a, already it's did Asian that. Gun, in, but they already good. did that in Iron Man three, <laughs> didn't yeah. they? When they revealed that he was Ben Kingsley, but he wasn't Ben Kingsley. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is, with with with, with Tony Lung playing the Mandarin, we're not gonna get Fu Manchu Mandarin. We're gonna get Hi, I'm Tony Lung, and I look very good in this fancy suit. Also, I'm evil. <laughs> to be fair, Tony Lung looks pretty good in damn anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Right, <laughs> so, right. Anyway, yeah, there you go. Yeah, okay, okay. I can I can dig that. I mean, it's not the first time they had to tackle a problematic character. At least this time they didn't change his race or, you know, hire Tilda Mm-mm. Swinton to play him. <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. We'll see how this goes. Uh, yeah, what 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 Marvel projects are our listeners looking forward to, I wonder. Let us know in the comments. And that is uh that is I, I guess that's pretty much every single Marvel project that we know of or we have meaningful information about. We're looking forward to all of it and hope we can get it sooner than later, thanks to this pandemic. All y'all's listening in podcast land. Uh, tell us what you're looking forward to in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or you know what it, what what imaginary projects you hope they tackle. Uh, let us know in the comments, email us, or you know bug us on Facebook. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> ah man, I forgot to bring up Blade. Welcome back to Three Point Landing. Um, we are now in the second half of our superhero update. And um, after going through the upcoming slate of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we are now going back in time to another era of superhero movies. I'm bringing this up because um, <clears throat> last week, the director of Batman and Robin, legendarily one of the worst superhero movies ever made, Joel Schumacher, passed away at the age of 80. Um, from all accounts, he was a class act. He has nothing. I mean, people have nothing but good things to say about him from having worked with him. And apparently he was a heck of a character from what I've seen, what I've heard and read. So it might be a little bit unfair to peg his entire career around that that one movie. Well, it's not just because he was a super nice guy that everybody loved and also was super gracious to all those who worked for him. <laughs> But also because his filmography is just staggering. It's huge. It's mind-boggling. For us to even think about, yeah, for us to even reduce him to just like one bad Batman movie and one 
mostly okay. The jury is out, depending on how I feel or how many drinks I've had. Batman movie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know what? Okay, here's the thing about Joel Schumacher. I am. I, I commonly, when people ask me who my favorite filmmaker is, um, I talk about people like Steven Spielberg because Spielberg, you know, his filmography has no one specific genre. I mean, he could do anything mm-hmm. except high comedy, apparently, if you've seen 1941. <laughs> but at the end of the well, day, I, you know, <laughs> Schumacher's filmography is pretty much the same. He's done everything from horror to to, to drama to uh, um, courtroom intrigue to superheroes. You're absolutely right. He should not be confined to the movie with bat nipples. <laughs> yeah. But um, <clears throat> if, I, if I remember right, Joel Schumacher got his career started as an interior designer or as a set decorator or something like that. Um, I think he did some set decoration, but I think he was mostly known for at the time was costume design. Right, right. And he wasn't entirely, he wasn't what you would describe as a fan of the Batman movies. But what he was, and the reason he got chosen by Warner Brothers was he was a proven commodity a proven commodity who could make a commercial film that would not have children crying in the cinema the way Batman Returns did. Don't forget also that he was actually handpicked by Tim Burton. So this is very much a case of, you know, this is very much a case of Zack Snyder and the Oscar Eden thing going on. You know, like right, right now, and I don't want to get, I don't want to get into it too much right now, but, you know, a lot of people are deriding what the Oscar Eden's, uh, what, what, influence Yoss Whedon had on the Justice League film. But, you know, they do forget that Zack Snyder said, I'm a leave-in. Hey, DC, I recommend Joss to take over for me. And it's the same thing with Schumacher. Tim Burton was like, all right, you know what? I'm having a hard time dealing with these guys at Warner Brothers. But, you know, if you really ask me who we should take over this stuff, it's got to be Joel. Wait, are you serious? I I thought they didn't give him a choice. I thought they just told him that you're not the director anymore. You're the producer. Um, I thought they blindsided I, you know, him with that. Um, I know that the, 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 there was a lot of friction between Warner Brothers and a lot of, you know, like headbutting. But what I heard was that Tim Burton also chose him. Wow. It could be, you know, the, okay, circumst- okay. the circumstances could be different. Like maybe he was given a short list and, and he said, well, Joel's the one who least offends me on this list. Okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah, okay. That's interesting. But hey, if I'm but wrong, I can think of why. I, 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 I mean, even if that's whether or not that's true, I mean, I can believe that because um, the reason that Schumacher would have been attractive to Warner Brothers was because he already had a proven track record of commercial hits. At that point, it was in the early 90s. He'd already done stuff like um, St. Elmo's Fire and um, The Lost Boys, which I love. Um, I think he also did what? Flatliners? Did he do Flatliners? He did Flatliners. Right, right, right. And he'd already he'd falling proven, down. Oh, yes, client. absolutely. <laughs> but which which movies do you think he should be remembered for? If not, you know, George Clooney's one attempt at Batman. Um, well, it's it's hard for me to say one movie, that he should, a, a few movies that he should be remembered for, because they all feel like they have their not flaws, but they all feel like very weird movies. To, I can't like I can't go like, hey, everybody, you got to watch eight millimeter. Hey everybody, you gotta watch phone booth. But I don't personally, think anyone my needs favorite to see is Eight more than once. <laughs> no, I that, love that, that film because it's was, so like that was per- so heavy. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong. Eight Millimeter is not a great film, but do I enjoy watching it? Yes. <laughs> 
as long as we're not talking about the director video sequel. But yeah, uh, I, I can see that. I can see but, that. But in answer to your question, I would say Falling Down. People got to watch Falling Down, especially in oh, the yes. context of well, today. <laughs> uh, maybe you can refresh people's memories because this movie is what? 30 odd years old at this point. I. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Falling Down is 27 years old. It stars Michael Douglas as uh, a former defense contractor who, if I recall correctly, he lost his job. Yep. And at the, th- the, the movie is set during a sweltering summer in Los Angeles where, you know, a heat wave has hit. And he's trying to, like, walk across the city of Los Angeles to get to his, uh, to his daughter's birthday. And that's the plot, which isn't fairly very interesting. But what it makes what makes the movie so electric is all the different things that happen on the way to the birthday party, and he basically goes on a rampage, making violent and sardonic uh, tirades about poverty, you know, customer service, commercialism, all that kind of stuff. You know, he's just he's just trying to get to his daughter's birthday, getting angrier every minute. Mm-hmm. You know, he faces an obstacle to, towards that, and becoming increasingly more and more like. Combative until the authorities start getting involved. He's um he uh, that that movie was basically think of it like the Joker. I mean, I look at it that way. It was just one regular dude yeah. who had a spectacularly bad day to the point that yeah. you know at some at by the end of it he's just shooting people in the face. Yeah, I think the movie might uh for some people the movie ages badly because they see it as you know it's it can be seen as like oh you know clueless angry white guy movie and i get, kind of get that take but at the same time i also feel like the character's not meant to be sympathetic you know i mean he's not meant to be like someone you root as as hero but rather as someone you identify with as being you know sort of like making observations about how society pushes back at people mm-hmm. and makes it difficult to to have dignity you know in the face of capitalism exploitation you know and uh, a government and economy that just doesn't give a fuck about you right right <laughs> that is incredibly relevant now in this day and age um not just here yeah. but i think in a lot of places where the divide between the haves and the have-nots has grown increasingly obvious and um it all really comes down to how willing you are to not go nuts. I mean, how prepared you are to not go nuts with everything that modern society has to throw at you. All the stresses, all the pressures, all the little things that get under your skin. <laughs> I mean, again, we live in a country where just taking the train to work is an endurance test in itself, in and of itself. That's not even an exaggeration. You can line up for an hour, hour and a half before you even get to the train platform here. So I can very, very easily imagine some version of this narrative taking place here in the real world. Especially um, for me, um, the movie that I love surprising people with as being done by Joel Schumacher, because again, a lot of people cannot get bat nipples out of their head. For me, um, the movie that I like name dropping um, just to surprise them because it's so well done. It's so inventive in concept and execution and narrative acting. And I think the budget must have been something like $7 all told was Phone Booth starring Colin Farrell. I love Phone Booth. That's that's the story where Colin Farrell is stuck inside a phone booth for pretty much the entire runtime of the movie. 
And if he gets out, he's going to be shot. And he has no idea why. He just has his voice on the other end of the phone telling him what he's got to do. And um, for what it was, for being set in strictly, for the most part, one location, it really falls a lot to the direction and the performance, really, to carry the day. Think um, something like um, Ryan Reynolds in Buried, which is also criminally underrated, in my opinion, where Ryan Reynolds spends 90 minutes in a coffin underground. Um, that was also I also well want to bring up... Uh, sorry? Sorry, I, I also want to bring up a movie like, like, like Ryan Reynolds in Buried which, and, and Colin Fowl in, in a phone booth is yeah. uh, the movie um, uh, Cellular starring Chris Evans. You know, I haven't seen that. How does that go? That was interesting. It's basically he he's just this carefree guy and then he finds a cell phone in the beach or something and he picks it up and he sees he hears Kim Basinger's voice on the line and so he using the phone he's trying to find you know he's trying to find a complete stranger and help her and help her get out of the the bad situation she's in so it's very much this sort of high concept dialogue driven sort of like you know simple premise uh movie that is in the vein of phone booth and yeah. and, and, yep. and uh buried Except in phone booth, you got Kiefer Sutherland on the line and not Kim Bassinger. So, you yeah. know. Yeah. And, and, and also, Kim, Kiefer Sutherland is not the victim. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's true. But, uh, but, I, but when has Kiefer love, Sutherland ever been the victim, really? Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Wait, no, he directed that. So it's his own <laughs> goddamn fault. <laughs> that doesn't count. I, I know my... I, I know my Kiefer Sutherland filmography very well, Let, but, uh, okay. for better or worse. Uh, no, um, I want to celebrate this. I thought this movie is very interesting, Phone Booth, to me, because Kiefer uh, is in a movie playing the sniper, and also the movie is in real time. Yeah. Uh, right? Like, the movie runs for nine, for 81 minutes, right. and that is the time frame of the movie. There's no, 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 forward, no flash forward in time or, or flashbacks. I'm so glad that's the direction you went because I thought you were going to try and sell me on the charms of Forrest Whitaker again. Uh, well, I didn't say he was charming. I just said I liked him. Ugh, you can, yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> Forrest Whitaker with his, you know. I, I don't want to go into that right now. Uh, we're talking about Joel Schumacher. Yeah. And um, as far as his relationship yeah, yeah. with Kiefer Sutherland goes professionally, I also like The Lost Boys. Oh, yeah. I have not seen that movie. I should get around to doing Wait, what? Yep. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but go, go. Tell me all about this That's vampire team damn flick. shame. Well, I think you already know. Is it? Don't, I mean, you're already familiar uh, with the premise, right? Where um, yeah, I mean, these, can... these two brothers, they move into a new town. Um, they, they, they move into a new town and basically they find out that the reason for a lot of missing, a lot of mysterious disappearances in the town are a bunch of vampires who dress like a cross between the Dreadnoughts from G.I. Joe and Rejects from Mad Max. Basically, they look like a biker gang. <laughs> and they're being led by, um, they're led by Kiefer Sutherland. And it stars Corey Haim, Jason Patrick. They were very young at the time. Um, Corey, Ooh, Jason Patrick. Huh? Yes, Jason Patrick. I think Ooh, Jason I, I haven't Patrick. heard about him in years. What's he been in? That's since, the joke. Since Speed 2, like seriously. I don't know. But, uh, I don't know. I, th I think it was all over after Speed 2. Right. And this movie is like a whole who's who of 80s um, young celebrities at the time. There was Kiefer Sutherland. There was Corey Haim. There was Corey Feldman. 
Alex Winter, you know, um, you know, he's gonna Alex be in the new Winter, Bill and Ted movie. <laughs> he, he's in this one. So it's it's fun. It's twisted take on the whole Peter Pan and the Lost Boys kind of thing, because they stay young forever and all that. But um, it's very well done and rightfully recognized as a classic vampire flick, as well as a classic 80s movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just always like the idea. I don't know if this is a trend back then or whatever. I always like the idea of regular kids going up against these classic monsters. <laughs> it, I don't know. It was fun. It was fun. I, I, I too love the Monster Squad. <laughs> exactly. For anyone who hasn't seen it, check out the Monster Squad. It's where these kids use their knowledge of old Universal monster movies to fight the old Universal monsters. Namely, Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, the Wolfman, the creature from the Black Lagoon. They are all in that movie and it rocks. But wait, Joel Schumacher. Anyway. <laughs> Three-point landing. Let's talk about let's talk about okay, let's talk about the 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 bat in the room. Let's talk about uh his bat movies. How do you feel about those bat movies? Uh you of the bat mania. Oh, lordy. I enjoyed Batman Forever because I think I was the right age when it came out. I was like 12, 11 or 12 when it came out. And I liked the idea. I mean, let's face it. Val Kilmer in a tux looks way better than Michael Keaton in a tux. And he was a far <laughs> more credible Batman. The only trouble was he was as boring as sin. Val Kilmer was completely wooden. He's a great actor under the right circumstances, but I don't think that they had any idea where to take the show, uh, take the character. And Joel Schumacher, not being necessarily a Bat fan, and he admitted this, he based a lot of his um, directorial choices on what he remembered from the 1960s Batman show with Dutch angles, crazy lighting, um, silly one-liners. Oh, the Dutch angles, you're right. I'm sorry? I said the Dutch angles, you're absolutely right. I, I did, it didn't even occur to me he was taking it from the TV That's show. That's it. I mean, he was trying to make an episode of the 60s show, complete with the themed goons, mm-hmm. complete with the bad one-liners, complete with, the, yeah, again, the Dutch lighting, the crazy angles, even the themed head lay, the themed headquarters of the villains. Come on, it's all there. <laughs> it's an episode of the Adam West show if they had $50 million to do it. I, I have to admit, I do like I do like Two Faces headquarters. I too I too would be driven to make a a, a, a headquarters that's like you know down the sugar on the left, spice <laughs> yes, yeah, spice on the right. With yeah. uh, Drew Barrymore on one end and um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Debbie Debbie Mays. Uh, I'm not so hot on Debbie. I'm not so so hot on Debbie Mazar and Drew Barrymore, but you know, yeah, sure, whatever. No, I was just thinking. I just remembered it because I think this was like before. Mm. Drew Barrymore came back as America's Sweetheart. Remember, she had this whole rebellious phase where she just couldn't keep her clothes on in movies. Um, she's pretty much in lingerie uh, for most of Batman Forever. <laughs> but she was working her yeah, way back. Uh, she was working her way back to respectability because at least this time she had clothes on. I think I think this movie had two weak links. One, Chris O'Donnell as Dick Grayson, Robin. Uh, I'm yeah. sorry. It's Chris true. O'Donnell cannot act his way out of a paper bag. I'm sorry. And yep. he has not improved since then. And Nicole Kidman as Dr. Chase Meridian. Now I can't fault Nicole <laughs> for this one necessarily. I think I think it I don't I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that pithy cliched statement of she does fine with the material because no, I don't no, think she, she doesn't. Does. She doesn't. But the material that she gets, but the material she's given is so wretched, I can't blame her for not bothering. <laughs> That's true. She has basically also, one role in this movie. That's to be horny for Batman. Literally. 
Yeah, Adam, he, he's like the world's fucking horniest like psychologist. She like lights the bat signal on top of police headquarters while wearing a nightie just to get Batman's attention. <laughs> uh, I do love her name though, Chase Meridian. That, that's know. a fucking name for that a cat. That is a great name. I got to give you that. But the neon, again, now you have to watch this movie now through that lens that you're watching it. A big budget oh, you, blockbuster oh, man, version oh, of the 60s show. It'll all oh, make sense. It'll all make sense. Which makes it all the sadder uh, I'll, I'll, that they couldn't choose a Bruce Wayne with a little life in him to sell it. <laughs> Are we talking? And how do you feel about Batman and Robin? I kind of liked it the first time I saw it. I didn't know any better. Well, I mean, you would have been like, how old were you? Oh, what year? I think I was like 14, 15. But the thing oh, that's about... Fine. The thing we all about, like stupid shit when we're 14. <laughs> the, I don't know. I was on a Batman high, you know. The mm. animated series was like in its fourth season or something. And it was yeah. actually the first Batman movie I ever saw on the big screen. So I, I was excited just mm. to be there, you know. And I'd already had yeah. months of hype from the, the, the internet, which was a new thing back then. And... um. Websites like Ain't It Cool News, which did nothing oh, but post um, um, spy shots or leaked script items, uh, details. So it was all uh, exciting. The ever-reliable and trustworthy Ain't It Cool News.com. That <laughs> Harry Knowles will say anything. Oh, good God. That will say any kind. And that Harry Knowles will praise any movie as long as you wrap the screenplay around a Snickers bar. <laughs> that is true. Or give him presents. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, I was excited. I was riding the hype train. I fully admit that I was riding the hype train. This was before I learned, um, I believe the year after, that following the hype train is not always a good thing. I learned this the year later because the year later, I saw The Phantom Menace. (laughs) And I was like, I've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> it's like not everything that has hype deserves it. <laughs> but you know, you have to admit, uh, Batman and Robin, it did give us a lot of great memes and a lot of great puns. And oh, yeah. I think I will forever tre- I will forever treasure Batman and Robin for being endlessly referential. Refer- Re- a movie you can reference. <laughs> I, I I I will yeah. I got something though, and this one I, I agree with my girlfriend here. Poison Ivy is kind of awesome. She knew exactly what kind of... Uma Thurman knew exactly what kind of movie she was getting into. And she knew exactly how to play it. Only trouble is, nobody around her was on the same wavelength. Here, here. here. Think about this, man. Watch that movie again. And imagine she's a drag queen. (laughs) It's perfect. The whole thing makes sense. The whole thing makes sense. The whole thing makes sense. Like, yeah. I mean, think about it. You knew something was wrong with this movie when Arnold Schwarzenegger's name went above the guy who plays Batman. I mean, come on. Fine, he was the biggest star in the world at the time, but he's basically a parody of himself in this one. Everything he says is a cheesy one-liner. <laughs> Gotta chill. That, that's your best Arnold, really? Uh, I'm working it. No, uh, maybe no, I need to drink no, more. No, yeah, maybe. <laughs> not, not even like a freeze. Is no, a freeze is coming. Uh, never mind. I give up. Let's not do that. Let's not do impressions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do them on air. That's for sure. Sure. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> right. That's the smart thing to do. But um, <laughs> as maligned as Batman and Robin is, as horrible as 
and horrible, overstuffed, overproduced, overshot, overcostumed, overlit, overwrought as that movie is. I feel that it is not the worst example of a superhero movie that I've ever seen. So a lot of the hate towards it is kind of unwarranted. It should be hated for a lot of things. That's true. But I think that more people hate it just because it's fashionable to do so. Yeah, like uh, it, it basically, you know, he made a lot of he made. It, it's funny how how oversensitive and angry people are about these, you know, what what Schumacher had done to Batman. When you consider that Batman fans don't exactly suffer from a lack of wealth and you know treasures to enjoy in the world of media and pop culture. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, back the, then, Schumacher's. Uh, yeah, but even then, like you know, you got the cartoons and all that stuff, and right. you know the video games already. You know, it's it's compared to something like let's say the Fantastic Four or 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 the Avengers. Even you know those guys, like a bad Batman movie is is just a blip in 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 the larger scale of things. And I'm pretty sure that you know that applies to today. You know, with some of the disappointments of the DC extended universe. They're never going to stop making Batman movies, right? Right. Not as long as they think you know it's worth. There's a potential to make as much money as they have before. That's true. Uh, but we got. We still have to recognize that Batman and Robin pretty much killed that franchise and all superhero movies for years and years. Hmm. Oh well, no, they killed Batman for years and years, about seven, eight years, because the year after Batman mm-hmm. or two years after that, Blade came out, and then Spider Man. Sorry, Blade, the next man, yep. Spider Man, and yeah. after that, well, you know, the good you, times you, got rolling. Yeah, you can concede. Okay, let's concede that Batman did and Robin killed the genre. No, I think he for the, all of let's, two let's, seconds. Let's go with for all of the two franchise. seconds. Yeah, yeah, you're, I was wrong. I'm sorry. They killed the franchise. <laughs> didn't kill the genre, but. Um, that's why, yeah. I mean, I think that despite all of the bile thrown at this movie on the internet, Joel Schumacher has been nothing but a class act. He has repeatedly apologized yes. for this film in public. He's repeatedly said that the story could have had more work, or maybe he just didn't, he wasn't the right person for it, or he could have had a better handle on the material. But at the end of the day, he takes responsibility and he does not blame anybody for it. And I think that is the classiest yeah. thing. That is the absolute classiest I thing. I I appreciate that in an age of where apologies are becoming very common. Right. Uh, he knew how to apologize. He said he doesn't. He doesn't try to get defensive about it. Yeah. He just goes, "I'm sorry, that was a mistake." Yeah. And he doesn't try to like uh, assuage his ego or you know get or, or pretend that you know he can deflect responsibility for it. And I think that's something to admire, I, along yeah. with having such an illustrious photography. A reputation for working so well with actors uh, who have had nothing but kind words to say about him on Twitter. I think that, and I, I think also because um, when this happened, he was like what in his late fifties, early sixties when he made that movie. So I think he was maybe a lot more mature than a lot of the people who are making films now. So and also because he had fair. so many, he'd already had so many successful films of different genres. Yeah, that. What you said is absolutely right. One bad flick, whether in the genre, in terms of the genre, or in terms of his output, didn't really take any skin off his nose because he continued to make successful movies after that movie. Yeah. And I think uh, that is it for uh, our retrospective on Joel Schumacher. Yeah. Uh, Let us know what your favorite Joel Schumacher movie is or let us know why we should or should not hate on Batman and Robin some more. Uh... (laughs) 
hopefully you guys um, check out some other Joel Schumacher movies. Let us know how that goes in the comments. And uh, maybe we'll get back to this in a future episode. Until next time, you've been listening to Three Point Landing. I'm Misha. I'm Matthew. Signing off. Three Point Landing is recorded at Big Baby Studios. Follow us on Facebook at Three Point Landing PH.